Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, I am fired up for today's pod. Really, really fired up. We have Christy Dosh is coming up in a bit. She is going to discuss a bunch of different NIL things. She is an expert in that area. We're going to talk about working out with our significant others in figuring out a great, great idea by yours, truly. Um, But first, I'm so excited about this. I've been thinking about this for a little bit. I have a country song to describe the current vibe of every SEC team. It's been a minute since we've done since we've done anything kind of like this, uh, similar to the first podcast that we did with this new format, right? Where mm-hmm. um, we did a country artist who describes every SEC program. And so today, what we're doing. Um, is going to be, yeah, you're not going to exactly look at these songs and be like, oh yeah, that's that makes total sense and that's exactly where my head would go. Have an open mind. We're gonna have a little bit of fun. We're gonna be creative and talk about just where exactly each of these programs are. And I, I said this on the, the pod that we did with uh, country artists to describe SEC programs. Uh, I avoid doing the lazy thing of like automatically putting a Darius Rucker song with South Carolina or mm-hmm. putting a Justin Moore song with Arkansas. I know that's sitting right there. I just don't really like to do that. In my opinion, that's just too easy. And my point isn't to show that a country artist roots for a specific team because we could do that for the entire SEC. Right. And that really, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, another disclaimer, a lot of these are based on the titles of the songs, all right? like. I realize a lot of these are love songs, okay? Um, Not like the writers of these songs were sitting down and writing them thinking, hey, make sure that we we do this to kind of capture Mizzou's vibe in three years, all right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm fully aware of that, okay? We're gonna need some context to be able to explain these things. So even if you kind of hear something and you're like, ah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, just kind of listen to me explain through it a little bit. And um, I, I, I don't want to necessarily offend any specific fan base or anything like that, but I think we'll be able to kind of cover everything. Does that make sense? I'm just furious you didn't start when you talk about how excited you were. I'm pissed that you didn't say, I've been thinking about this all day long, right? <laughs> I love that song too. We just lost like 10 subscribers. <laughs> Listen, man, if you can't bust out some Josh Turner every once in a while, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's the man. All right. Let's start with Alabama. The song is All Time High by John Party. Yes, the under hit on me including a John Party song on this list. <laughs> you know, John Party's a guy, I wasn't like big into him before we started doing the pod. You've opened my eyes to some John Party. I will bang the drum for John Party all day. He is my probably my favorite in country music right now. Um, all Time High is an excellent track off of California Sunrise, which in my opinion is as deep as any country album in the last decade. Every single song on that album could have been a single, and almost all of them were, because of how long and the staying power that it had. Alabama's on an all-time high right now. From 2009-2021, Alabama played in nine national title games, in case you forgot. I truly think, yeah, no, you didn't, you know you didn't. I I think that we'll look back one day and we will treat this time, and I don't know, I'm not saying that it ends in 2021, but starting in 2009 and whenever it ends with Saban, I think that we will pretty much treat this like John Wooden winning 10 national titles in a 12 year stretch. Mm -hmm. I think it's the football equivalent to that and here's why. Tom Osborne, widely considered one of the probably five greatest college football coaches ever, right? I think we can say that. That's mm-hmm. not 
getting too crazy. I didn't spend too much time in Nebraska to come up with that take. <laughs> yeah. He played for five national titles in 25 years as Nebraska's coach. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Bear Bryant, you've heard of him. Another dude spent 25 years at a pretty well-known program, Alabama. You've also heard of that. Um, he only played for eight Wow. Titles. Just off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. We're losing people left and right with this pod. <laughs> Uh, he only played for eight national titles. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's that's how incredible it is. To me, the most impressive thing is that Saban has got to as many national titles as he has. What Saban is doing, even coming off of a title game loss, is an all-time high that we've truly never seen in college football history. There's a zero percent chance that Saban's success will match what he did. I wouldn't bet the house on much, but I would definitely bet the house on that. His successor will not live up to the standard that he has set in the last decade plus of dominance that we've seen. As John Party says in All Time High, the day I quit you is the day I die. The day Saban retires, this all time high is over. Alabama might compete for, for titles every year, but not at the rate that they're going right now. All right, uh, Arkansas. The song, one of my favorites. How Do You Like Me Now by Toby Keith. <laughs> I almost went with Bless the Broken Road here. Um, I, I didn't really want people to get too caught up in whether Rascal Flats is country, so I, I settled on this one. I think the vibe kind of fits it a little bit more. The internal dialogue I, is really the best part of this segment. <laughs> I have a lot of internal dialogue notes in here because I went all over the place. I've been trying to think of this, this list since probably about Sunday when I was doing yard work, and I started to just come up with them for a few teams. Like, you know what, I can do this for the entire SEC. We we can get there. Um, so I, I take some heat from people for being more of like a 2010s country convert, okay? I'm not somebody who grew up with it in the same sort of way that a lot of other people who are listening to this podcast did, but this might be my favorite 90s country song. And yes, it counts as 90s country because it was released in late November of 1999. Oh <laughs> I made sure to check that. Uh, this song, in a very weird way, is about a dude who was rejected by this girl and then made fun of when he took the unconventional path. That's Arkansas. Hunter Juracek was mocked for hiring Sam Pittman. And now, Pittman and Juracek both just get to say, how do you like me now? Because, let's be honest, we didn't imagine they'd make it this far. And all of these other teams who spent big, they made the splashy hires, like the woman in the song who married into money, they would love to have someone like Pittman running the show. There's something super relatable about this song and there's something super relatable about Arkansas. Like I've said before, Arkansas is currently in the lead for America's team, okay? I'm probably gonna do something a little bit more in depth about that for 4th of July, spoiler alert. One of the beautiful things about this country is that with the right mindset, you can totally change your fortunes and dunk on all of your haters. Every time I hear this song, I'll think not necessarily about a girl who turned me down or something. I'll instead think about that guy in my high school who made fun of me when I walked past him and he would just say sports. And now <laughs> I would love to be able to go back to that guy and say, hey, my passion for sports is the reason that we've had millions of people listen to this podcast, and read my stories. So yeah, how do you like me now? All right. Boom. And rant. And rant. By the way, one of the reasons I also picked this song and I said earlier about how the vibe just kind of fits more. Um, I can totally picture Sam Pittman ripping this one off in karaoke. Absolutely. Sam Pittman was born to sing this song, I think. I don't know if you ever would, but it makes a lot of sense. You can close your eyes and picture it. 
All right, um, let's do Auburn here. And I'm going in alphabetical order, by the way, in case you weren't able Yo, to. Yo, really quick, is Sam Pittman what we thought Brett Bielema was going to be? Like, because Bielema rolled up out of Wisconsin. It was like, he was this big, jolly guy who's going to, like, change Arkansas football. Da, da, da. It was pretty underwhelming. Like, it was a fun time. He was kind of fun, but overall pretty underwhelming. Seems like Pittman has somehow just turned into what we thought Bielema was going to be. Different point in their careers. Okay. Different point. Um, in some ways, you're absolutely right. I, I think there's there's something to be said for that. And the style of football, establish the line of scrimmage, you're gonna have this amazing ground game. We, we would expect that of any team coached by Brett Bielema. We would expect that for any team coached by Sam Pittman. The difference being, Sam Pittman talking about spending his life in Hot Springs, Arkansas is different than Bielema, who just left a Power 5 program and established one at that to go pursue Arkansas. You didn't really think, all right, he's going to retire here. This is kind of his end game mm -hmm. mindset. He was still a little bit on the younger side. I know it's kind of a weird thing to say because he's been around for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but that, like, I always kind of had this thing in the back of my head of like, would would Bielema eventually take Kirk Ferentz's job at Iowa? He's got an Iowa tattoo. He's an Iowa grad. So <laughs> he sure does. Thank you for bringing um, that thought back into my mind. People forget that. They shouldn't. <laughs> and the fact that he's in the same division as them right now is a little interesting. But I, I think that there there's a point to be made about that. Um, like, best case scenario, Bielema is what Pittman has become. But definitely some differences just kind of where they are with, with their respective careers. Okay, Auburn, Settling Down by Miranda Lambert. This was the single most difficult song for me to land on, and I'll explain why. Auburn is so unique. <laughs> we know that, we've talked about that a lot. But here's why I went with, uh, with Settling Down. It's all about this push and pull. Am I looking for comfort? Am I looking for an escape? Am I looking for you? Am I looking the other way? The lyrics of this song have this great balance of finding that identity and still having this internal debate about who you are and what you aspire to be. That's Auburn in a nutshell. Does Auburn want to be the program that's still known for knee-jerk reactions and paying eight-figure buyouts to fire coaches? Or does it want to settle down into a more normal, stable life where an athletic directors are actually the ones making these decisions and it isn't some roller coaster all the time? They can release a statement in February saying one thing and then do something totally different this fall. I am not taking that off the table for Brian Harson in year two. And it's tricky because as much as fans might feel like stability might be a welcome sight, there's still going to be this temptation to be, as Miranda says in the song, a wild child. If and when, of course, Auburn is on the outside looking in at the SEC West race. This song is all about the fork in the road and the internal pressure to pick the right path. Auburn is living that battle constantly, and especially right now with Brian Harson. Does that make sense? Yes. No, Auburn's the one I was actually, like, really looking forward to, and that actually makes a ton of sense. Because, yeah, it's like... Yeah, no, I, I think it's a, it's a conflicted song for, like, a conflicted kind of program. I think that works. Okay. Okay, good. Because uh, I, I went back and forth of, like, all the different directions you can go with that one, but ultimately Auburn is conflicted, and that's probably what they're going to be until further notice. Florida. Starting Over by Chris Stapleton. Um, Florida fans, before you push back on the notion that it's a total rebuild, let's not forget that Billy Napier literally said, we need players and talked about how aggressive they're gonna be in the transfer portal before that May 1st deadline, okay? Starting Over isn't about, wow, my life is a total mess, let's hit the reset button. It's about taking a new approach, which 
is exactly what Florida is doing, albeit with its sixth coach of the post-Steve Spurrier era. Let me say that again. This is Florida's sixth coach of the post-Steve Spurrier era, which is just two decades long. This new approach, it's all about beefing up the support staff. It's not just about who is worthy of having a job like this and who can handle a job as good as Florida. Mm -hmm. It's just about moving on from the Dan Mullen era and understanding why a fresh start is necessary. Stapleton has the line in the song, I've had all of this town I can stand. Florida fans probably said to themselves many a time, I've had all of this clown I can stand as it relates to Mullen last year. <laughs> I was not expecting I've had all this cloud I could stand. Let's go, Connor. <laughs> the second verse of the song is really what drives it home for me. I knew you'd like that line. Um, the second verse to me is, is really kind of what stands out. It goes, this might not be an easy time. There's rivers to cross and hills to climb. Some days we might fall apart and some nights might feel cold and dark when nobody wins afraid of losing and the hard roads are the ones worth choosing someday we'll look back and smile and know it was worth every mile it's really hard for me not to sing that <laughs> i'll be honest to just like say those words but i'm not going to do that to the people i don't want to get a one-star review from my voice i am not a singer i'm a podcaster i think florida could have some games where it just takes it on the chin this year uh, maybe the next year maybe the next year or two and some nights will indeed feel cold and dark, but I think Florida fans, and I know myself, are high on Napier's rebuilding plan. I think someday there is a chance that we look back on this as the best hire of the cycle, which, oh, by the way, included Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, and Mario Cristobal, all much splashier hires than what Billy Napier was. This song has a very calming sense about it, and it just kind of grows on you. It's like everything is gonna be okay, and we're all in on this new chapter. That's the sense I get so far from Billy Napier and Florida fans reacting to him that was yeah. also that's also one of my favorite songs the last five years as well just thought i'd throw that in there you're making a good point and that's I, I actually never really thought about this but it's very accurate i think that billy napier kind of saw a little bit of the hope merchanting waves that dan mullen had before and he's really like you're right if you listen to what he says like literally if you listen to billy napier talk and don't listen to what fans say about him He's signaling towards like, yeah, we need like a little bit of a rebuild. We're gonna like remake this entire staff. This is gonna be a process, like da da da. And yeah, I think that like, you know, and like like we're talking about Florida fans are kinda like run with that in a way, but I think that if you listen to him, he kinda is talking about that. And I, I would juxtapose that with let me just get your thoughts really quick on that official email that went out from the Florida basketball program. What, what oh, was God. your take on that whole situation? Uh, that's a situation you don't often hear me bang the drum for more editorial control, but <laughs> in that situation, yes. If you haven't seen what Will is talking about, a very bizarre um, uh, critique of Mike White that went out on Florida's official website that came off like something that you would see on like a random Florida message board or a blog like or something 09 like that. Bleacher Report level right Yeah, where you're just like, what, what are they talking about? Why is this going out on the official website of the university? Yeah, that, that definitely made me scratch my head. That's just kind of, maybe that's a, some, of the, some of these communication staffs that have been kind of cut or limited post pandemic, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, I, I know that space a little bit, and maybe that just kind of slipped through the cracks, but weird move overall. And I'm, uh, I'd be surprised if we saw more stuff like that in the future. 
That's that's where I was going with that, though. It seems like Billy Napier has done the opposite of playing into that. And I think that he has kind of set out his expectations and said, here's what we're trying to build one day. It's going to take us a minute, but we're going to get there. He's very measured. He, it, point being, like the reason I even brought that up is it's very easy as the Florida coach, and this is what part of what did Mullen in to really play into the message boards, play into that fan base and say, we're going to, you know, go top 10. We're going to beat Georgia. We're going to win the SEC. We're going to do all this different stuff. And they will, you know, put you up on a pedestal until you don't do it. I think that he has done a really good job of saying this is going to be a little bit of a starting over. So I think it's a great, great uh, song choice. And I think when Chris Stapleton says, I've got friends out on the coast, it's like Billy Napier saying, I've got friends at IMG Academy in St. Thomas Aquinas where we need to actually be able to recruit as, you know, as Florida. That's pretty Those are good friends to have, man. Good friends to have both on the coast. Uh, Let's do this. Georgia. um, I I think Georgia fans will like this one. Hell of a View by Eric Church. (laughs) Georgia is on top of the college football world until at least the 2022 season starts. Some say until the 2022 champion is crowned. I would tend to say that you tend to get more caught up in this current season. But nonetheless, Georgia is a champion. When you spend four decades trying to get there, you stop, you soak in that view just a little bit more. As much as Kirby is all about avoiding complacency and he is very much a Saban disciple in every way related to that, this is the type of pinnacle that he wanted to deliver for his alma mater. I always say that I'm not really a like a, a heights guy. I don't like heights. It gets my palms sweaty. It gets me nervous just thinking about it. I'm not going to go up to the Empire State Building. I don't need to do that. That's not a bucket list thing for me. Uh, but I do like hiking, and I will hike for an incredible view. I think we lose sight of what goes into getting to that Georgia level, or at least the level that Georgia was at last year. I hear the words in this song, Hell of a View, this ain't for everybody, or ain't always heaven, baby, this living on the edge. And I think, yeah, 6 a.m. workouts that pushes you to different levels that you thought were physically possible uh, with Kirby yelling in your ear the entire time, that, that's, this ain't for everybody, all right? Like, mm-hmm. it, you weed out the people who can't take that. And Georgia has learned how to embrace that. And as much as we wanna just chalk it up to talent all the time, if you don't have that mindset, that's not gonna do squat for you. Go ask Texas, go ask USC about that. I'm sure having Scott Cochran and Will Muschamp now a part of those workout rooms. I was about to say, he's the third loudest voice if you're talking Kirby. Gosh, he is quickly like just fall. Kirby has fallen in the ranks of like, <laughs> guy, you don't want to piss off during a workout. That's Cochran genius hiring right there because you never want to be the angriest guy in the room as the head coach. You got to get some people to take that yelling off of you so you can lay out that game plan. You got to have the voice fresh, you know? Yes. Cochran and Muschamp, as long as they're there, they got that lockdown. They'll just, they'll just take turns by firing away with that Um, but amidst all the struggle and the criticisms made about Kirby with the quarterback room he did exactly what he set out to do and yeah it's a hell of a view from the top okay Kentucky Kentucky the song is must be doing something right by Billy Currington Got a little bit of a classic, somewhat of a classic, a 2000s, a mid-2000s hit, I believe. I think it was like 2006, something like that. I was about um, to say, this was in my wheelhouse, so we know it's old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, not, not too recent. We're focusing very strongly on the title here, though I could argue that there are a lot of similarities between a man trying to satisfy a woman compared to a program going four decades without winning, uh, having a winning season in SEC play and then finally <laughs> reaching that. Pretty similar in that regard. All-time bullet point right there. <laughs> Fellas, that, <laughs> that's that one was, thing I know about. Anyway. 
It's really, it's, yeah, it's difficult. Um, don't explain that to one. Don't explain that one to your kids in the car, parents. We don't need that. Uh, but I say this, Kentucky must be doing something right if it has a coach who is about to enter year 10 on the job. Kentucky must be doing something right if that coach is doing things we haven't seen since Bear Bryant was in Lexington. Mm -hmm. Kentucky must is. be doing something right if it can now pay a football coach a salary that'll be at $8 million per year by the time that salary is done. Kentucky must be doing something right if that football coach just signed the number 13 class in America and continues to be a significant player in the transfer portal. I think Kentucky fans would say that uh, they don't know how they earned a love like this, to quote Billy Currington. <laughs> because suddenly, a basketball crazed school has one of the best situations at the Power Five ranks for, in terms of, if we're just talking about satisfaction for a fan base, mm -hmm. Kentucky's up there. Well, right? just for football, yeah. <laughs> just for football. Overall not satisfaction, not so much, but football, yes. We are not having a St. Peter's discussion today. This is strictly football. But they're at that, that nice place where, you know, maybe they'll end the Florida streak or maybe they'll end, you know, this streak or maybe they'll have, go five and three in SEC play. And that still matters a lot. And I think for a program like Kentucky that had just been so snake bitten for so long mm -hmm. and it was just one thing that was going to prevent Kentucky from reaching that next level, they finally feel that sort of exhale, that aha, that, oh, it's clicked. I have finally figured things out to establish exactly what we've been looking for. Stoops doesn't really come off as this like player's coach who's gonna be buddy-buddy with his guys, but you talk to these guys who have played for him and you can see why they love him. I mean, listen to Cash Daniel talk about the guy. Mm -hmm. And it's because of that like Youngstown blue collar mindset that just by the time that you're done playing for Stoops, unless you had some sort of weird falling out or playing time or whatever the case may be, you just learn to appreciate that man and what he has done for that university. Also, side note, um, speaking to fans of country music and specifically those who are familiar with the work of Billy Currington, I had no idea that he put out this album called Intuition in 2021 that was apparently really bad, really, really bad. Very weird sound. Um, picture Good Directions, all-time great probably country song of the 21st century, but literally the polar opposite of that. <laughs> okay. It could not be more different. Um, yeah, just very, very weird. That's why you haven't heard a single off that album on the radio or anything like that. You're like, oh, why do we only hear stuff from Billy Currington that's at least six years old? That's why. Anyway, Kentucky must be doing something right. Okay, well, we've reached the point that you've been waiting for. LSU, Easy Come, Easy Go by George Strait. Yeah. I came really close to doing Sinners Like Me. Oh, man. Air Church. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was going to make a joke about Brian Kelly coming from a Catholic school, how right. LSU just sort of like passes the baton to a long line of sinners, you know, like the previous coach. <laughs> the cops were there, trust me. Uh, but alas, I avoided that comp. We decided not to do multiple Eric Church songs. It's been a very Eric Church heavy podcast lately. Mm -hmm. The actual phrase, easy come, easy go, is basically how money and material objects come and they can be used and spent just like that. That's fair to describe a program who just paid $8 million, $18 million to have a coach walk away two years removed from a natty and then turn around and broke the bank for what'll turn out to probably be about a nine figure commitment to Brian Kelly. <laughs> and this, yeah, it, it's gonna end up being nine figures. Who are we kidding? With those bonuses, we need to remind ourselves of how crazy those bonuses are all the time. They are yeah. absurd. He's getting a bowl bonus, all right? 
Zealous Listen, <laughs> something I thought would be a given until recent years, no. I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so this song is about coming to grips with the reality that two people aren't meant to last for the long haul, right? No fault, no blame, nobody done no wrong. The LSU Ed O'Dron breakup wasn't some nasty, drawn out deal. I mean, the guy stayed as LSU's head coach after he was fired, all right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they didn't fight over the $18 million as some expected, myself included, that there would be some Tennessee-like lawsuit. That did not happen. To quote King George, via con Dios, good luck. <laughs> easy come, easy go, means in this sense, for LSU was, yeah, we can recognize that we have, we, we just have to call it quits and call, call off all bets and it's on to the next one. LSU will probably just find a way to have a fourth different coach win a national title this century and then move on to the next one right after that because they don't need to force anything if it's not there or rather if it's not in the cards. How do you like that one for LSU? That one's cool, man. Like, like going a little bit old school, I think that you're right about, you know, um, <laughs> it's 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 a very interesting situation to be put in. Yeah, it's one of those that's definitely changed since we did the first one, and and it's just be, it's a very confusing time to be an LSU fan. But like you said, we're going with the flow. It's really just I'm not stressed, so I think that works out. I did Chris Stapleton for my my artist who uh, who most resembles LSU when we did this last year because. Mm -hmm. It was when LSU hits right, you're like, oh my God, this is, this is incredible. When you hear Chris Stapleton hit those high notes at a concert, you just stop and realize, I'm listening to one of very few human beings on planet Earth that could do what he just did. And there are very few programs in all of college football that can pull off a year like what LSU did in 2019. But mm -hmm. yes, things have changed just a little bit. Easy come, easy go. Mizzou. I went with One Man Band by Old Dominion. I am, before anybody that, the, that is in country, the crowd speaks up, I am not a diehard Old Dominion fan or anything like that, even though um, my brother pointed out that the lead singer, Matthew Ramsey, is my country music doppelganger, <laughs> fun fact. Um, and you know how music sometimes makes you think of a very specific time in your life? Do you get that, Will? Mm-hmm, for sure, like, yeah. Just like certain memories or maybe something reminds you of when you were 17 or something like that and you just you always kind of go back to that place I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for Old Dominion because when my dad was in the hospital with a second bout of cancer I spent a lot of time driving my mom's car from like to and from the hospital and she was on this Old Dominion kick So I would just leave it on it would just automatically come on the CDs in the car and I'm just like all right This is fine. This is whatever mm -hmm. and just to sort of escape my thoughts Written in the Sand, one of my favorites. I almost picked that for Auburn. Probably also could have worked for Mizzou. And whether it could have described, like it, it probably could have described like the Eli Drinkwitz dynamic. Is he gonna be long-term at Mizzou or is this kind of a, a, a short-term thing? Just, you know, as they say in the song, trying to get it while we can. Uh, don't need to explain that one either. Parents, this is a PG-13 podcast. Um, but yeah, just kind of this back and forth, will they, won't they type of deal. But I went with one man band because lately it just feels like Mizzou is all about that one dude. Tyler <laughs> Brady last year, the year before, the one man band on offense was Larry Roundtree. The one man band on defense was Nick Bolton. It seems far too often so dependent on that one dude to carry the load on whatever side of the ball it is. 
And in this case, as it applies to Mizzou, I think everyone involved wants to show that they can be more than just that one household name. It gets old being a one-man band. In life, we seek companionship. In football, we seek having a team full of guys carrying their own weight. I'll admit that Mizzou was a little bit tougher to kind of pin down, but I think this one works. Probably could have had some success if we went outside of the country music realm and went with U2's Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. I think that would have worked. <laughs> That's a lot of well. teams, to be fair, yeah. It's a lot of teams, yeah. Um, yeah. Who, who can't say that at some point for the SC, in the SEC in, in the 21st century? Um, but I thought that one still still was able to work for Mizzou as they try and figure out their quarterback situation as well and what that looks like moving forward. Okay, Mississippi State. The song is I'm Not For Everyone by Brothers Osborne. I am very proud of myself that I resisted the urge to make the Kenny Chesney uh, connection here. Anything pirate related probably would have played with the Mike Leach thing. <laughs> oh, I bet they're homies. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you like being a pirate? So do I. Let's you do hate taxes? Me too, buddy. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Uh, they could relate. Actually, wait, there's a Kenny Chesney tax story. Do I not know about this? No, I just, they seem both very anti-tax. They seem very libertarian, oh. just generally. Oh. Okay. Uh, I don't think Leach is ever going to be for everyone, no matter how much success he has at Mississippi State. I think even if the Air Raid does end up working long-term in the SEC, there will be fans, there will be players, and there will be coaches who oppose it and don't really want to be a part of it. And Leach is fine with that. The words, I'm not for everyone, have applied to him for a long, long time. So this isn't necessarily just a Mississippi State thing. Tell me who this reminds you of. I'm always speaking my mind when I'm better off biting my tongue. Yep. I'm a bad joke at the wrong time. Hell, I'm a legend in my own mind. Yep. I'm good for some but I'm not for everyone. <laughs> this That's might be the best one so far. This one yeah. might be the best one so far. <laughs> strong, strong emphasis on I'm a bad joke at the wrong time, all right? <laughs> Leach is the most acquired taste there is in college football, even more than like a PJ Fleck, all right? Mm -hmm. And he's, PJ Fleck is kind of the one who has said many times, I'm not for everyone. Leach is as unapologetically himself as there is in the sport. and with a media landscape that often kind of loses its collective mind whenever it hears something that isn't just coach speak, mm -hmm. uh, that's not an easy thing to be. Leach, I don't think, is even for all Mississippi State fans. There's probably a good portion of the fan base that wishes he would run the ball more or like, I don't know, pretend that a tight end exists. <laughs> I love looking at the PFF numbers for, for tight ends with Mississippi State's offense because they don't exist. They're not even there. <laughs> it's a blank um, page. Yeah, it's just a blank page. But Leach is going to be Leach, for better or for worse. Okay, Ole Miss. The song is My Kind of Party by Jason Aldean. Easy one. Very, very easy one. I'm, I'm somewhat reluctant to say that I've been to a game at Ole Miss because I went there in 2018, and I, I don't think that was the way that you're supposed to consume all things Ole Miss. The Grove was great. It was awesome. But I watched Ole Miss have a like a... a pretty relatively empty stadium, not fully empty, but at least it was somewhat empty by halftime mm -hmm. because Alabama just blew the doors off them. It wasn't even close. Wasn't that the game I they had like the long touchdown to start the game? With Metcalf, yeah. Yep, that, I'm sure that was electric for like 45 seconds. Oh, More God. than that, there was a commercial break in there. I bet they were losing it for like 5, 10, yeah. For like 10 minutes, man. We're thinking, hey, 
and then 2020 kind of became that the 2020 game that they that they had against one another um but yeah the 2018 game did not play out to be that i don't know the final score was like 63 to 7 or something yeah. it, was, it was bad it was really bad um i've admitted in the past that i thought the only reason old old miss fans wanted matt luke fired at the end of the 2019 season was because it had been so long since they could actually conduct a real coaching search and i thought getting rid of matt luke was going to be a mistake I wrote that, I said that, I'm on record, I was wrong. What Ole Miss fans wanted at the time was exactly what they currently have. They wanted a splashy hire with a high-powered offense, kind of like what they had with Hugh Freeze, just maybe without the NCAA violations and the off-the-field drama, just keep the cell phone stuff away. Um, go figure that Lane was exactly the man that they needed to deliver that. You know, kind of stabilize the program. <laughs> Lane's funny how things change. Stabilizer. <laughs> yes, that is what he has done. Um, this is an Ole Miss fans kind of party. That's what this offense is. That's what this team has become. The party is the um, the party in the sip marketing strategy was brilliant. Chef's kiss to whoever came up with that within that Ole Miss athletic department. This is the best version of Ole Miss right now. I'm not living and dying with every play like Alabama or Georgia fans are. You know, they, they've grown accustomed to that LSU at certain points in the 21st century, of course. But, you know, it, it's having a high-powered, fun brand of football that wins a lot of games, but is absolutely worth the price of admission. Say what you want about Lane. Say that you don't like that he goes for it on fourth down so much. Say that you have long-term concerns about the defense. Say that you worry that Lane isn't going to be in Oxford for a decade. What is completely undeniable is that he has absolutely brought the party to Oxford. Mm -hmm. Once upon a time when Jason Aldean was just cranking out bangers, this was the perfect like, road tripping song. I already did my rant about why it feels like Jason Aldean kind of peaked around 2013, 2014 and how he doesn't really belt out songs the way that he used to. But this song still plays and as long as Lane is running the show in Oxford, it'll be a party in the set. Okay, South Carolina. The song is Good Vibes by Chris Jansen. Easiest one of the entire bunch. Very, very easy. South Carolina is the ultimate good vibes team this offseason. Gamecock fans are soaking it all up now, especially now that they've got a coach that they really believe in. They even have a starting quarterback that they really believe in. Those boys went from Sabulia to Spencer Rattler in like three months. No, that is insane. I don't want to say that Zabulia didn't bring good vibes because he did. He was good. We are a very pro Zabulia podcast, but just in terms of you know your situation, that is a night and day situation. Very, very different. And you know what? It's it's a fun place to be. It's not this intense walking on eggshells atmosphere with some coach who's on the hot seat. So much of that and the vibe associated with South Carolina is because of Beamer and how positive he is. He is a good vibes type of dude. And that's not to say that he just kind of sugarcoats things, but he's just such a 180 from the attitude that we saw kind of later in the Muschamp era. And look, like that's not meant to be a, a total dig at Muschamp because to quote, um, you know, to quote earlier what we were talking about with Billy Currington, you know, he must be doing something right if he were if he somehow got power five head coaching and power five defensive coordinator jobs for 15 consecutive years okay i can't take that away from Muschamp. he had some very important friends and he was able to <laughs> friends in to high get places those that's the Muschamp. So. <laughs> yes not friends in low places but friends in high places exactly the inverse of that <laughs> yes definitely beamer's energy was needed 
and it's really evident in the first year that he has been there. I think it's actually a lot more rare than we realize to be in a spot like the one that South Carolina is in right now. I don't officially know the ceiling for South Carolina just yet because nobody is established as the clear cut number two team of the East. We haven't seen the fruits of that world-class facility South Carolina has just yet. We don't know what the program would look like if Clemson came back down to earth or at least a notch below those 2015 to 2020 levels that we talked about last podcast. Vibes should be good after beating three teams that I would have assumed going into the year would probably blow out South Carolina. They beat Florida, they beat Auburn, they beat North Carolina in the bowl game, including Georgia and AM, South Carolina still might be facing the daunting reality of having annual dates with three programs who could be yearly top 10 teams throughout the 2020s, which is like looking at your phone and seeing that it's going to rain and be miserable, like pretty much for the rest of the week with the weather, it's going to monsoon. But for now, just sit back, fill up your cup, enjoy the good vibes. Just take it all in. That's what South Carolina's doing. Okay. You're gonna like this one, Will. Tennessee, I went with Eight Second Ride by Jake Owen. Oh boy. <laughs> An eight second ride, or as we like to call it, the over-under on Josh Heupel's opening touchdown drive. That's how long it lasts. <laughs> yep. That's the obvious connection here, right? The Vols are all about the explosive plays right now, and after a decade of being pretty much starved from those explosive plays, it's nice to see the occasional 50-yard touchdown in Knoxville. Alabama was the only SEC team with more scrimmage plays of 50 yards than Tennessee. The only Power 5 team with more scrimmage plays of 70 yards in Tennessee was Michigan. Tennessee now there's a sentence that you wouldn't have believed five years ago. <laughs> no way. Jared Garantano? No, not exactly Mr. Explosive, okay? Uh, things have changed a lot in a very quick period of time with Josh Heupel. But the real eight-second ride stat is obvious. The Vols possess the ball for an average of 24 minutes and 29 seconds per game. Dead last in FBS. Tennessee possessed the ball for a full minute and 20 seconds less than any FBS team in America. It's crazy. That's the, that's the average. That's what they do. That's the offense. It's quick. It's hard hitting. You're going to get off the field in a hurry. It's explosive plays. You have those capabilities. So Spin zone. Are they actually a defensive team then? Some are safe. <laughs> They're playing. It seems like they hate playing offense. They keep getting off the field, man. That's true. They do like playing defense a whole lot more than they like playing offense. Yeah, the complimentary football thing that we were talking about. Uh, it's still it's still a question mark. Don't get it twisted. It's still there, even though Tennessee was kind of able to work through that and get to a, a place that exceeded expectations last year. So that's definitely why part, at least partially why I picked this song, which if, you listen to country music, you know that's kind of a very early Jake Owen song, kind of different than anything he's put out, anything like in the last 10 years or so. There's another piece of it. The song starts off with, hey girl, what's your name? Haven't I seen you before? I feel like that was Danny White going through the interview process and being like, oh, that's right, this guy's familiar. I had that guy when I worked at UCF. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Let's see if he'd be down. Let's call him up. Um, hitting him with that you up text that he gets the job. Yeah. He's like, oh, wait, wait a minute. You're, you're familiar. You're that Josh guy. We, we, we work together. We know each other. We've seen, here before. We, we've seen each other in the same circles before. One last reason why I think this works. Hold on tight because it's going to be wilder than any eight-second ride. Of course, line of the song, of course. Five head coaches in the last 13 years of the post-Fulmer era. We've had 
protests prevent hirings. We've had riots over coaches leaving. We've had coups organized to prevent coaches from being offered. We've had lawsuits over eight-figure buyouts. When Tennessee conducts a coaching search, hold on tight because it probably will be wilder than any eight-second ride. I love SEC football. Wow. That is just <laughs> so much stupidity has happened to just leave them in a good situation. <laughs> and just as a Tennessee fan, you got to just be throwing up your hands and being like, you know, cool, I'll take it. Yes, of course. How could we not? Okay. Um, let's take actually, let's take a quick break and then I'm going to come back. I'm going to catch my breath here a little bit, clear my throat, and then we're going to come back. All right. Are you subscribed to the Saturday Down South YouTube channel? If not, you absolutely should be. If you're looking for a place to get all of the great video content that we continue to crank out, all you got to do, go to YouTube. Saturday Down South, type it in your search engine, boom, that's all she wrote, simple as that. You're gonna see interviews involving everybody that we have on this podcast. It's gonna be up on the Saturday Down South YouTube channel. You can see Cast Interference, which I record with Marler. You can see The Alliance if you wanna get some perspective on the Pac-12 and ACC. Um, there is so much great content that is going up right now on the Saturday Down South YouTube channel, so go subscribe to that right now. Texas A&M. The song, I think Aggie fans will appreciate this, Till You Can't by Cody Johnson. For the, uh, the non-country genre, I think some in this position would have gone with Mo Money, Mo Problems. <laughs> that would have played. Uh, I thought about just rolling out anything with Big and Rich. I would have made a lot of references to Jimbo's ranches. Ranches, ranches plural. Numerous. Need not remember that. Uh, we need not forget that, I should say. Instead, I, I went with a song that's been blowing up on the charts. It's kind of a little bit of a national radio coming out party for one of Texas's own, Cody Johnson. I know fans of Texas country have been a big fan of his for a really long time, but he's kind of just now making it in the mainstream. This song is essentially about living life to the fullest and making the most out of each day. It's a little bit carpe diem, um, but it's just all about taking action. Chase your dreams. Don't wait for things to happen or else life will pass you by and you'll run out of time to do those things. For all the criticism about how dumb country music can be, which it absolutely can be with the songs that you hear on the radio, this one has a great message. How it relates to AM. AM takes a lot of heat. They spend so much, yet they haven't won a national title since the FDR administration, right? You know it's bad when your last natty came during a time when a man running for president was able to trick the American people into thinking that he was healthy and not dealing with polio because this was before, this was before the time when you saw presidential candidates on TV. Fun fact. A bit of a hope we merchant, some would say. That. Um, to a certain extent. <laughs> to a certain extent. That was hey. a masterclass in PR, though. I love him for that exact reason. Smart move. Yeah. Often get elected, what, four times? Yeah. Four different times. And then we change the rules because they're like, hey, we probably can't have somebody get elected a million times in a row. AM, however, is taking that chance. It's spending on coaches, it's spending on facilities, spending on recruiting. Uh, some would say they're spending on recruiting like there's no tomorrow. Whatever the case, they're making that commitment. It isn't just sitting back and hoping that eventually everything will click and they'll somehow get over the hump. If you're a fan of a program who hasn't won a title in the post-Adolf Hitler world, I think you'd want them to do the things that A&M does. Buddy, last time you weren't worried about defeating Alabama, you were worried about defeating Nazism, okay? We had bigger problems last time y'all were winning. Very true, very true. If you were a fan of a, of a program in that spot, you would want them to have a 
massive bucket list type of venue, which A&M has. You would want that program to pony up big for a head coach, and you would want them to kind of lean into taking down big, bad Alabama and not necessarily run from it, which, as we know from Jimbo's comments last offseason, he wasn't hiding from that. Remember, he came to the SEC West, he came to the division that nobody thought he would, and we're like, why would he ever do that? He's going to stay in the ACC forever. Jimbo is not scared. Okay? The guy is absolutely not afraid of competition, and that's why he has embraced this and gone into it head on. AM takes all these ricochet shots because part of it's the Texas deal and this constant back and forth with them, and because it's still kind of trying to find its way in the SEC and, and trying to show the rest of the conference that it belongs. But in my opinion, AM has done an excellent job of trying to seize these opportunities, whether that's jumping off the sinking Big 12 ship and climbing aboard the yacht that was the SEC, or spending massive money to poach an elite coach with a ring. AM spent the last decade plus telling the college football world, hey, we've got a chance and we're going to take it. So I can't follow the AM for that. I know that was a spot where a lot of people would just expect me to just make jokes related to AM and not just random Hitler references. But here we are. Listen, you expected to not see an Adolf Hitler reference to this year podcast. You expected wrong again. Oh, no, yeah. that's that's really, that's good. And yeah, I mean, you're, you're right about that. Like one thing you can say about Jimbo is he does not run from a challenge. He is ready, he is in his ranches, and he is not going anywhere. So, yeah, there, you know, I don't know if AM fans, like, it's gotta be a fun time to be an AM fan, right? Like, they're not caught up in the expectations yet. Cause I feel like if you're into recruiting, like, they're on cloud nine right now. Yes and no. Um, that, that part, I think, is that anticipation is there. Constantly seeing the tweets about Kevin Sumlin versus Jimbo Fisher <laughs> is a tough pill to have to swallow. Oh no, who would post okay. something like that in the Facebook group? Literally, not me. <laughs> not me. Who's th who's that for? <laughs> I think until that um, until that next season happens, where it feels like Jimbo took the program to a place where maybe it hasn't been in 30 years or something like that, they need to have that second year to feel like those comps can be put to rest. Until then, there's going to be that angst. And I don't necessarily think that's a given to change in 2022. Could very much be an eight, four, nine and three type of year for a &M. I'm not one of those people that, that think they should start off at number four in the country. We've been pretty vocal about that, but it is at least nice knowing that even if you go eight and four, nine and three, you still have that historic recruiting class on the way. And eventually you would think that that talent would be evident and you would have the depth needed to compete at a national level. Okay, um, we're gonna end with Vandy. I'm gonna piss off some Vandy fans on this one. That's all right. Mean by Taylor Swift. Oh, brother. <laughs> I don't think we ever found out why this song came to existence. So many of Taylor Swift's songs are, oh, this is when Jake Gyllenhaal did this, or oh, this is when John Mayer did that. I'm pretty sure this one, which is an extremely rare non-love song from her country days, I think that was just sort of left <clears throat> open for, for interpretation. If I'm not mistaken, maybe somebody can correct me on that. Vandy has been getting bullied in the SEC for a very long time, but especially in the playoff era when SEC Network became a thing and this arms race really took off, while Vandy decided that instead of upgrading the stadium for the first time since 1981, it was going to continue to kick that money back to academics. Now, Vandy has $300 million worth of upgrades that it's about to embark on. That's the new project that they announced this past school year. Still though, Vandy continues to get bullied. It gets bullied by SEC teams who have 
let the Doors win one conference game in the last three seasons. Um, Vandy is 10 and 53 against SEC competition in the playoff era. Not great. Uh, to quote Taylor Swift, you picking on the weaker man. Vandy is the weaker man. I think we can all agree on that. Vandy can't even redesign a logo without getting bullied. I know we're talking about football here. We're trying to keep this as much football focused as possible. Um, but Xavier shifting the new Vandy logo around to make an L after the NIT loss was savage. That's the oh. absolute, just like from a content guy, that's the absolute nightmare of, we're gonna roll out this big revamp, it's gonna look nice and new and shiny, and then someone just finds one little thing and it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> Can't unsee that, that's what that is now. If you're redesigning a logo, you almost need to just kind of workshop it, uh, do the market research in a room of trolls. Right. Just find any which way in which that can be turned around into something to make fun of the the, the, the university, you know, the program, whatever it is. Uh, I feel like they could have snuffed that one out for as smart of a school as Vandy is. First thing know. I'm gonna do if I'm in that type of situation is leak everything. I'm just gonna be like, oh no, oh no, someone left my computer, oh no. And then if people love my designs, I'm gonna be like, ha, it's the real design. If not, I'm be like, no, fake news, never, never seen that before no. in my life. That's what you gotta do, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Poor Vandy, though. Can't even come out with a rebranding without just getting absolutely dragged. Yet, at the same time, if you've ever interacted with Vandy fans or even just kind of hearing Clark Lee talk, there's a, a scrappiness about the future and about what's to come. Uh, when I put out my Crystal Ball series every August, I will eh, pretty much almost always have Vandy winning one or zero conference games. I hear about it from Vandy fans. I do, I really do. Like it's a more passionate bunch than what the Saturday optics would probably suggest. They aren't UCF levels of online, but they're at least out there and they do absolutely exist. And there's probably Vandy fans listening to this podcast right now are saying, yeah, finally, I feel like I'm being heard. Um, the words, someday I'll be big enough so you can't hit me, applies to Vandy. Finally spending on athletics upgrades like the rest of the ICC and hoping that it can finally stop getting pushed around. Don't know if it'll happen, but it's at least the thought that counts. Will, any thoughts on any of that, not just Vandy? That, uh, first off, you know, I try so hard to be pro-Vandy in this podcast, and here you go, taking the one SEC school in Nashville and giving them a Taylor Swift song. That is so disrespectful, but hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I think that's so great. It's a compliment in my book, but that's right. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like they have the one country music, but no. Um, yeah, I think, I think you know, I, I obviously, like I said, I stick to the older country, but all uh, I've heard most of these, and I think they fit. Um, I think I uh, got a brand new girlfriend would be a good one for LSU as well. I was thinking about that as it came mm. through. But yeah, no, I, I think that uh, it's a pretty good, pretty good way to take the pulse of the SEC, man. I could have done, there, there are a lot of artists in country music who don't have any sort of accent, but for their songs, <laughs> they'll kind of add in a little accent. Yep. That would have been just sitting right there for LSU. But I'm like, ah, it doesn't really, you know, that doesn't really encompass kind of the overall vibe of the program. That's more of just kind of a thing to make fun of Brian Kelly. Fair. So. Those opportunities were there. Uh, we should have a graphic out on this soon, just to <laughs> I can't wait recap for this all of these. 
<laughs> I'm gonna put on no teeth so I can see this graphic. <laughs> yeah, poor Alex. I'm gonna send him all these songs. He's be like, "What the hell is this, man? What are we? What are we doing here?" And when there's no context, that's what people always get riled up about. So if somebody says like in an Instagram comment or something like that, there's no con. Like, what do you mean about this? Um, just point to this episode mm -hmm. and say this is this is all the context in here. Uh, if they would like any sort of explanation, all right. We've just I'll signed up work. Alex for a very confusing day at work. Uh, <laughs> he's just gonna be. Why are we still talking about Chris Stapleton? What is happening here? It'll get the people going. Hey, if we got people talking about John Party in our mentions, life could be worse. Mm -hmm. Okay, we need to be talking about John Party more. All right, let's kick it to Christy Dosh. She's gonna help us sort through some of these pressing NIL issues, make sense of what's just a wild time in college sports. So here is Christy Dosh. Not excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Christy Dosh. Uh, Christy writes about all things NIL for Forbes. She's the author of Saturday Millionaire. She does about like five or six other things, sports business related that I'm probably leaving out right now. Uh, Christy, you are admittedly NIL obsessed. Uh, I feel like it's just a win to be at this place now where NIL is so part of the vernacular where you don't necessarily have to like explain to people all the time what exactly NIL is and we're not getting it mixed up with NLI for National Letter of Intent. But do, do you still get that at all though where people are like, wait, are you obsessed with recruiting? Like what exactly does NIL mean? I think pretty much everybody, uh, at least in my like circle, has heard of it now. It's funny because when NIL was first starting, like literally the first week back in July, my air conditioning was out and I was living at my parents' house for the week while I had no air conditioning. And my parents just heard me doing these radio and TV interviews all week long, talking about name, image, and likeness. And by the end of the week, they were like experts too, because they listened <laughs> to talk about it all day, every day. So I feel like all the people, at least in my world, have got it figured out now. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh what's your approach to or i guess what's your bigger biggest takeaway from seeing this one year anniversary come up really soon with nil which is kind of a crazy thing to to fathom this summer will be the one year anniversary of it but what's been maybe the, the biggest takeaway you've had kind of seeing the way that some of these things have played out yeah you know it's that nil really is possible for everybody i mean i have talked to division two and division three student athletes who are making tens of thousands of dollars on brand deals i've talked to nai student athletes who are doing it i think if a student athlete wants to do something to monetize their nil whether that's social media promotion or it's creating merchandise or it's creating a camp or a clinic i mean there's so many different ways for them to monetize if it's something they want to do and that they're able to make the time for there's an avenue out there for them. Now, it might look really different for a Division three volleyball player than it does for a Division one football player, sure. But I think that all of the sort of prognostication that this was only going to be for Division one, or it was only going to be for men's student athletes, or it was only football and basketball, none of that has been true in my experience. Now, the media tends to cover the biggest deals. And so, you know, you feel like you hear about certain categories and certain people over and over. But I've been able to talk to a lot of student athletes at every level. And if they want to monetize their NIL, most of them have figured out a way to do it. You know, it's actually kind of taking me by surprise a little bit to see that play out so much and to also see the impact of TikTok and seeing that there are a lot of, of, of women college athletes who have benefited from this because of their, their following on TikTok, the way that they can grow an Instagram account and the way that I almost wonder if, you know, some of these business owners are now seeing that as like, oh my God, like we'd be foolish not to try and capitalize on these followings more so than just 
random power five quarterback who, yeah, maybe they post like once a month, they have a ton of followers, but what does it really do? It doesn't really push the needle. How have you kind of seen that dynamic play out with, you know, it's, it's been a little bit, I, I almost feel like it's on the women's side, it's actually been more lucrative than anybody could have anticipated after, like you said, we were talking about just the big time athletes are going to be the only one who benefit. You know, th- this is being general, obviously, but I think that female athletes have better long-term potential. I Agreed. think they're doing things they can do long after graduation, long after they're not playing their sport, because I think most of those deals aren't based on what sport they play or even how well they're doing in their sport. Whereas with football players and maybe men's basketball players as well, I think it is more based on, you know, being a starter and playing right now. And maybe it doesn't have the same long-term potential, but maybe it has more short-term upside. You know, maybe they're getting bigger deals dollar amount wise. I mean, we've seen the data show that, but I think brands who worked with, especially in the influencer social media space, Brands who already worked with influencers who are non-athletes, you know, long before NIL was a thing, they were working with college age students who were influencers and had big social followings. You see far more women in that space than you do men. Women, you know, data shows tend to have more engaged followers. They get more comments and shares and likes. And women control a lot of the buying power in the United States. I mean, I'm a big shopper. I'm not going to lie. And brands know that. So it's no surprise to me that women with large social media followings and even women who are micro influencers who have very engaged small followings are getting really sizable NIL deals. Um, some of the dollar amounts have surprised me with how big they are. Yeah. That's that specifically. Should there be a cap on earnings? Can there be a cap on earnings? You know, with my my lawyer hat on, no, I don't. I don't think you can have a cap unless all student athletes are going to be employees and we're going to be collectively bargaining, which opens up a, a whole lot of other issues. For example, in some states, um, employees of the government can't um, unionize, so student athletes at public universities in those states probably couldn't. I won't go down that whole rabbit hole, but I don't even know that it's possible for every student athlete in America to be able to unionize, but that's what you would need to have a cap because antitrust laws uh, would come into conflict with any sort of cap the NCAA or conferences or schools tried to set. And that's why you saw all this language around market value. But of course, now we're all trying to figure out like what, what is market value? Because some of these deals you hear and you're like, how is that market value? But is market value just what someone's willing to pay for it? And in that case, how much is a booster sometimes willing to pay to get someone to a certain school or keep someone at a certain school? Uh, I think we're starting to see that play out. Okay, that that situation we saw, the, the five-star quarterback <laughs> who commits to Tennessee from California. Nico, I'm not going to bother to try and pronounce his last name yet. I'll get there eventually. But I've been practicing it, but I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> we're, we're, are, are you able to get two syllables in? Because I <laughs> Well, the problem is I've watched other reporters saying it to try to learn it myself, and they're not all saying it the same. I know. I watched him say it. I literally watched a video <laughs> with him saying it. I'm like, I, I'm more confused now. I'm, I, I'm not going to be able to get this. It's going to be like I'm, to, uh, you know, he's on a first name basis. 
I practiced DJ Ua Angale for a month before I could get it. I mean, every time I saw him on TV, I was writing an article about him doing a commercial with Dr. Pepper. And I knew I was going to end up doing radio interviews about it. I had the story a few weeks early and knew it was coming. And I would watch these videos and practice saying his name because I want to be respectful. I want to be able to say it, but it's tough when you can't get in touch with the person and have them tell you how to say their last name. And you have to rely on other reporters who are all saying it differently. <laughs> yes. DJ Uyangole, I was going to ask you about him, where we see the Dr. Pepper commercial. And that's that's kind of like the traditional mold that a lot of people expected, like what they expected NIL to look like is now you can have these national campaigns. But even with somebody like him, who's a preseason Heisman favorite, by November, you can't air that commercial. And that looks like a big loss for Dr. Pepper, where maybe they could have gotten some of those headlines. But if you're looking bad for something like that later on, I guess like it's, you know, kind of sort of the progressive thing with Baker Mayfield. Isn't there some market correction with that? And maybe could that give some of these some of these companies, some of these brands, maybe some sort of like hesitancy to move forward with campaigns like that? That's tough. The very first car deal we saw, I remember getting it on a Friday. Uh, it was uh, Miles Brennan at LSU. Yeah. And I remember getting it Friday. He broke his arm over the weekend. <laughs> and by Monday, he wasn't playing anymore. Um, and I, I talked to several people about like, how does the car dealership still get value out of that relationship? Because at the college level, there cannot be language in the contract that says that the contract and the money is dependent on performance. It can't have anything to do with playing on the field. It it can't even be that you have to be on the roster. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, some lawyers have stretched the definition a little bit, but it can't be based on play at all. And so when someone like that gets injured, there's nothing the brand can do. They have to fulfill the contract. And, you know, if it's a brand who is an, they have experienced marketers, they understand how to pivot with that. You know, I think you can change your campaign to fit what the situation is. Now, something like that, where you have a player injured. um, I think there were some fun ways I had sports marketers weigh in, in an article I wrote fun ways they could rework that campaign and sort of play into the fact that he was injured and maybe get like other players on the team to drive him around. And they had some cool ideas little different if the guy is playing poorly on the field and you don't really want to highlight him anymore. You might just be eating the campaign. So the problem is brands can't protect against that. And so do they trend more towards student athletes who are really strong on social media where it doesn't really matter how well they're playing on the field if they have an engaged following on social media that's not based on their performance as an athlete. Like I I know there was a student athlete, gosh, I want to say he's at LSU too, but I could be wrong, who was an avid hunter and everything on his Instagram was all about hunting. And he's been doing all these deals with like hunting apparel and hunting equipment kind of companies. They don't care what he's doing on the field because his following, those people are engaged with his Instagram posts because of the hunting pictures and the hunting advice. And so I think that might be a safer play for a lot of brands than going with a big name who, if they're not playing or they're not playing well, doesn't have any influence. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think they're, they're still figuring out what that looks like. And a lot of people, when they see the the headliner, they connect the dots with the situation, like with Nico. And we see this deal for $8 million. That headline comes from The Athletic. And on a Friday night, we're like, whoa, this is taken off to a different level than anybody expected. Okay, so maybe this is a, a two-part question, but why is that able to kind of exist when it's it looks very obvious, like it's pay for play? And then also 
the role that collectives are playing in these deals, which I, I've talked about kind of the merits of collectives and why I think they can be good to sort through some of these different things. But why has that, why, why was that deal able to kind of exist and how is it proven that it isn't just obvious pay for play? I still have questions about how it exists. Yeah. Yeah, I I am a lawyer and I really wanted to see the contract. I have tried unsuccessfully to get a copy of it because I have a lot of questions about what's built in there. You know, what we do know from the athletic report is that it said in there that the, the deal was not contingent on that student athlete going to a specific school. And, you know, all the rumors have been that it's Nico and that, and that it's a, a collective associated with the university of Tennessee. I really pissed off Tennessee fans a couple of weeks ago talking about it. So I have laid off since then, um, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not because I'm a Gator fan. If the Gator collective, which is my alma mater, if Gator collective did this, I would feel the exact same way about it from a legal point of view. Even if you say in the contract, This isn't an inducement, which they had a sentence like that about how it wasn't an inducement. That's like me walking up to you and telling you, I'm going to punch you, but it's not battery. And then smacking you right in the face. It's still battery. It doesn't matter what I say. It fits the legal definition of battery. Now, where the problem is here is who's going to enforce it? You know, we know that the NCAA is hesitant to enforce anything after the Alston decision last summer. And from a legal point of view, I think rightfully so they're, you know, not wanting to enforce these kind of things and they don't have any subpoena power. These collectives are outside of the NCAA's purview. You know, all they can do is go after the student athlete, but we don't even know exactly who the student athlete is, you know? And so I talked to a former NCAA um, enforcement guy about could you even do anything here? And his, his answer was, he didn't think so. He thought if you kind of went down the rabbit hole with it, there's not a lot anybody could do here except the school involved. And so what I said that pissed off Tennessee fans was that if I was the athletic director at Tennessee and that I knew for a fact this happened. I mean, right now it's a rumor that this is who it is and this is the collective it is. I would look into it. And when I find out that this is true because student athletes have to report their deals through compliance, you know, if I found out this was true, I as an athletic director wouldn't want that student athlete at my school. That is my personal opinion. That is the way I would choose to run things. Maybe that's why I'm not an athletic director anywhere because no one would want me taking that stance. But that's the only way in which you keep these deals from happening is if schools decide to fight back against collectives essentially buying players. Everybody's wondering what this deal could potentially do for Arch Manning. And uh, I'm sure that's a name that you're going to talk about a lot over the course of the next few years here. But I've seen some of the projections. Where where do you where do you kind of land on that? Where do you see his value, market value, whatever that actually is? Especially now, after seeing this reported eight million dollar deal, where where is Arch Manning's potential? Even as somebody who doesn't have these social media accounts at all, to be able to kind of use that. When this came out, a lot of people tweeted me and they were like, it's got to be Arch Manning. And I thought, not a chance (laughs) because he comes from a family that's got good legal advisors and, uh, you know, he's got his uncles to turn to who know a lot about this. I don't think he would be taking that kind of money from a collective while he's still a high school student athlete. However, he's going to have so many brand deals on the table, you know, just based on who his family is. Forget how well he does or doesn't perform on the field. You know, you've seen both of his uncles be tremendous 
um, you know, influencers and uh, brand ambassadors. And so just being part of that family, even if he didn't play college football, you know, I think if he had a sizable social media following based on something else, he would be doing tons of brand deals. So I I don't even know if you can put a number on what he's going to be able to do. And so much of that is just having the Manning name and having, um, you know, that support behind him and all the things they can teach him to look out for and all the ways they can teach him to be more engaging and to be a personality that brands want to work with. Um, you know, I did a story years and years ago that was about likability scores and, and who were the best kind of athletes to work with brands. And Peyton Manning's name came up over and over and over and over. And he scored, he way outscored Eli um, because he's just, he's likable and he's funny and he's comfortable on camera sometimes in a way that Eli hasn't always been. So uh, if Arch Manning can learn some, some things from his uncles, I, there will be no end to the number of brand deals I think he will be able to do whether he plays or not. Yeah. It just seems tricky to have to tend to navigate still, even for somebody who's going to have every opportunity and also every resource at his side available. And to, to go to a place, everybody's kind of assuming he's not going to go to a place that's going to necessarily be like, Hey, we have the best NIL opportunities available, but at the same time, why wouldn't you think of that? Why wouldn't you think of, why wouldn't that be part of the pitch? Do you see that programs are now using this as a very active part of their recruiting pitch for not only high school recruits, but for, for transfers as well? Like, have you seen some, some examples that have kind of stood out to you with that? I would say some schools and some coaches are more savvy about it than others. There's still a lot of coaches, especially when you get outside of football, there's a lot of coaches who are still trying to figure it out themselves. I get emails from coaches all the time and get asked to speak to coaching organizations. In fact, I just got an email today from a coaching organization because a lot of coaches are still trying to understand what are the opportunities and what do they look like and how much money is it? Uh, Now, when I've talked to friends I know who work with high school football players and are kind of prep football, you know, coaches and recruiters, they're telling me um, the conversations are going beyond what they should. I mean, under the rules, the conversations from coaches and other folks in the athletic department should be around, well, here's what our student athletes are currently doing. You know, here's an example from this person. Here's an example from this team, you know, whatever. They can talk all they want about what people are doing right now. What they can't do is say, if you come here, we've got a partnership with XYZ company and they're prepared to pay you a million dollars. You know, that's the conversation you can't have, but we know those things have happened before, even before NIL. And when I've talked to uh, folks I know who work with high school age student athletes, especially in football, they're telling me the conversations that are happening are very much, if you come here, this would line up, this would line up, this booster wants to do this. It's not what's supposed to be happening, but you know, there's no way to prove it, especially if it's verbal, unless somebody's recording something they're going to release later. So um, I imagine at some point, someone will have a written record or an audio version that's going to come into play and be a problem, but we haven't seen that yet. What did you make of the, uh, the Quinn Ewers situation over the course of the last year and the way that that's played out? Yeah. You know, I graduated high school a year early and went off to college a year early. So, um, you know, when I saw him do it, I thought, you know, I was ready to get high school over with. I didn't love high school. I knew I wanted to go to law school. So I had a lot of school ahead of me. So my motivations were different than his, but I decided I wanted to get the heck out of there. So, you know, in Texas, he was really, uh, you know, had his hands tied behind his back because, 
Texas doesn't allow high school student athletes to do NIL deals. And increasingly, we're seeing pressure across the country for state high school associations or even for lawmakers to change rules and allow high school student athletes to do NIL deals. Because if you can do it at the college level, you know, why can't you do it at high school? And, you know, the, the kid who sits next to you in math class, who's not an athlete, they can already make money on their YouTube channel or their Instagram or whatever. So why can't an athlete? So we've seen, I think, seven states now where the state high school association has changed its rules. But we have states like Texas, like Mississippi, um, that specifically say high school student athletes cannot do NIL deals and that's in the state law. And so it doesn't matter whether they go to a school that's part of the state high school association or not. And so they left him no choice. If you had a million dollars on the table and all you had to do was go enroll in college early, you only have one high school class left. Why wouldn't you do that? Of course you would. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy to think too, of that, that he used the system to his benefit in a way that um, I don't think people were anticipating at all. And, and I remember when that story broke, you're kind of thinking, wait a minute. So he's going to transfer to Ohio state. He's going to, he's going to enroll early. Then what though? Because there's no guarantee. And there's nothing that necessarily says he has to stay there. And you talked about it before about these potential deals and the pushback. Have you heard a horror story that kind of stands out about a deal that just like, oh man, this, this thing blew up in a hurry. Fulfillments were not met and they were bad. You know, it was, it was just a bad deal around. Maybe a business owner ended up really upset by the way that they kind of got burned by a deal. You know, that that's a good question because I can't off the top of my head, think of a situation where that's happened. I think a lot of brands have gotten the value out of the announcement alone. You know, those of us in the media have been covering NIL like crazy, especially in the early days, the first couple of months. And so a lot of the value was just in putting the press release out there and getting people to write stories about your company. And, you know, who cares what the student athlete posted down the road or didn't post? Like a lot of them got the value out of the media coverage from just doing an NIL deal. You know, what surprised me the most in July and August was that all these deals that were coming out were from companies I have never heard of before or since, really. Um, It was a lot of regional and local companies, but even national companies that had no idea who they are. I remember when I got pitched uh, the first story on Libby Dunn, like we all knew Libby Dunn was going to make a lot of money, huge following on social media. She's a gymnast at LSU. um, And her first deal was with uh, uh, Viore, I think is the name of the clothing brand. I had never heard of them before. Now, funny enough, like a month after I wrote the story, I was walking through a shopping complex in Southern California and there was a store. Uh, I live in Florida. We don't have that brand here. So maybe if I had lived out there, I would have heard of them. But that's how the early days were. It was all these companies you'd never heard of. And so they got a lot of publicity value out of just doing an NIL deal and getting it reported on. So I have not heard anything where a brand has been really disappointed in the outcome. Have you had to talk any coaches or athletic directors into NIL? Or maybe the better question is, if you had to, what would you say to them? Well, okay. So two different points on that. Okay. One is that when I was talking to athletic departments last April, May, June, before NIL began, every athletic department I sat down with, it was, well, we're not going to let them do this. And we're not going to let them do that. And this isn't going to fly. And they're not going to use our IP. It was all about what they weren't going to allow by September. Those conversations had done a total 180. Well, we're going to see if we can make this happen and we want to make this work. And this is how we're going to adjust this. Like by then they realized it was going to be a recruiting advantage to help your student athletes as much as possible. And a lot of the restrictions went right out the window, you know, institutional policies. Some schools have changed those three and four times since last July, usually to be 
less restrictive, not more restrictive. And now we see pressure on states that passed NIL laws to amend or repeal those to allow for more. And so that has been interesting to see like how fast uh, athletic departments did that 180. Um, But for me, the other thing that has stood out has been the attitude at the D2 level and maybe Mm. also at D3 and NAIA, but especially at D2, so many folks I know who work in D2 athletic departments thought, this wasn't really going to affect them. It wasn't really going to be part of their job. They'd have, you know, a handful of student athletes who had a big enough social following to be able to do something. But like NIL wasn't going to be big at that level. And that hasn't been true. There are certainly some schools who still tell me that it's just a trickle, that there's not that many. But I've now spoken at two um, Division II conferences, and I'm headed to Denver next week to speak to another one because they're figuring out not only that there are opportunities at that level, but that they're student athletes they want education on it. They want to be doing NIL deals. They want to know how to get started. And so I think you're starting to see D2 athletic departments invest more time, energy, and money in resources for education and for helping their student athletes. I want to get you out of here with an impossible question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What what does NIL look like five years from now? What does it look like 10 years from now? Okay. So for sure, there's going to be like some market stabilization, you know, those brands who came in because they were going to get so much PR off of just announcing they did an NIL deal. I mean, that's already sort of going away. You know, a lot of sports reporters wrote about NIL in July, August, maybe even into September. And now they might still write about it if there's something new, unique, a really big deal. Um, But very few people have continued to write about it on a super regular basis, um, except me and a few others. Um, I, I've become obsessed with it. So I write about it all the time, but I don't write about on the field. I'm a sports business reporter. And so, you know, it didn't matter that football season started or that basketball season started. I can still write about NIL every single day. Um, but I think that initial value is going down now. It's harder to get somebody to write about your brand if it's not unique or a really big like monetary deal or maybe a big number of student athletes. And so I think you'll see that kind of go by the wayside. And you're going to see a lot of companies that came into this space go away. There's been a real land grab. Um, I've been keeping a tracker on my website for a long time. I started last July of NIL marketplaces where student athletes could sign up to get matched with brands or sell their merchandise or create NFTs or a number of different things. And I think I've got more than 50 on my list now. I don't expect that they're all going to stick around. In fact, some are already gone. Um, I think some will merge into others. So I think we'll see the number of outside companies coming into this space, uh, reducing and sort of balancing out a little. And then you mentioned collectives earlier. I've been doing a lot of work around collectives the last couple of months. I don't think that's going anywhere. I mean, we've seen at some schools, there are two or three collectives now. Um, So I think some of that will balance out too. Some of the collectives have already gone away. I think I just took two off my list this week that kind of announced and then they're already like dead in the water and have folded. Um, But I do think that's going to be a huge part of NIL for the long term. Yeah, that's a that's a great answer. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking to myself, <laughs> not like, impossible. <laughs> not impossible. You're right. I thought I, I thought you were going to get into the the pay for player, and I was expecting to oh. have to like be like, oh wait, what what exactly would that look like? Yeah. But no, you're, you're spot on. I, I love I love the fact that there there are uh, people who are looking into every possible angle of this, and it's not just this is the death of college sports and all that. And people who are doing the work that you're doing is very very important. So really really appreciate the time and. Wish you the best of luck continuing to report on this uh, this ever-changing issue right now. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. This is one of my favorite subjects that we've ever done for figuring it out. Working out with your significant other. Incredible selection by you. I don't know how we haven't thought of this earlier. <laughs> it, these, these dynamics have been discussed by, by us off air, but I don't, we've never fully delved into this on air. Mm -hmm. Do you and Brittany work out together? And if so, what do those workouts consist of? So we've started doing it a little bit more. So our background, I've talked about my, you know, uh, non-prodigious athletic background, but I did MMA and stuff, and so I obviously am used to a very like a very different environment. MMA, you're part of a team, but it's an individual sport. So if you're messing up, you're really just letting yourself down. Uh, Brittany was like a runner her whole life, and so she's like a big like she's a fan of like team environment stuff like that. And one thing that we figured out early on is like Brittany number one likes to like socialize when she talks or when she works out. Again, I'm from an MMA background. There's no real, so you're fighting people the entire time. And there's no like, what's up, bro? It's like, all right, like tap up, let's go. I got some therapy sessions I gotta make up for. And so yeah, like- we, We've talked about that before, about like how the dynamic, there, there's a very specific person who wants to have a conversation at the gym yes. when they're working out. And I think most people aren't that person, but there, there are some, and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be really annoying, but it's, there's, a, there's a very fine line of being social while working out. Exactly, and like Brittany's that person since she was a runner, you know, they would kill a lot of time by talking to one another while they're warming up and stuff. And like I sure. said, I just, you know what I'm saying, I've never been that person. So that's one thing that we've kind of like decided, it's like, oh, like we're doing this to spend time together. So we need to like plan our breaks and like talk. And then one thing that was crucial is like our warmups, like she's a person who likes to be coached as little as possible. So when it comes to like warmups, it's like, hey, I'm gonna do my warm up, you do your, your warm up. Then we're gonna do a workout, and then you know it's like you gotta you gotta take the temperature if you're in a couples workout. You can't be you know Marty Schottenheimer every day. You can't just be like yo like I'm like we gotta hit this or this or we don't. Or like I can't be like if I'm with one of my boys and I'm like holding them accountable in that way. It's it's a lot more you know of a of a you know a friendship type of couples experience than it is like a you know player coach relationship. Because <laughs> if you try delicate. to do that, it's very delicate. Very delicate. Yes. Okay, um, I'm glad you brought up that word, coach. <laughs> <laughs> Fun story about that. Mm -hmm. Lauren and uh, my sister-in-law, Audrey, are they're training for a half marathon that's in Nashville in a couple weeks. We're actually gonna miss each other in Nashville by a week. Mm -hmm. like we're gonna be there separate weekends in April. Um, my brother and I will both be going. We will not be running, but it'll be just kind of a fun weekend. We've got an Airbnb downtown. Um, for this half marathon, I have been doing the majority of the runs with Lauren, uh, especially the long ones on the weekend. Did an eight mile run a couple weeks ago. We did 10 miles this past weekend. We got a 10 mile run this Saturday that we'll do. And I like it because I'm a psycho who enjoys running or at least the way that it makes me feel afterwards. What I do not do on these runs is go on my usual pace, right? Right. I'm perfectly fine with that, okay? I, I, I accept that we're, we have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, if I'm going too fast, Lauren's gonna let me know. I learned that the hard way when we first started dating, um, I, I learned that I never, ever, ever am going to be the one to tell her to push it. Right. It's not gonna be my thing. I'm even gonna think of my sign that I'm going to create for that half marathon in Nashville and make sure that it's not too pushy. Right. right? <laughs> Whatever level of effort you have, we love it. <laughs> yes, keep, keep doing you, keep doing your thing. Um, 
I'm pretty sure the first fight we ever had was when we were on a run. We had a block or two left, and I said to her, all right, everything you've got in the tank. <sighs> I might have pushed back a little bit afterwards. She's like, no, I'm good, I'm good. And then I'm like, no, no, really trying. Coach Connor died that day. <laughs> RIP. Died in 2012. Uh, he, he, not literally, but he might as well have left this earth. That's not the role that Lauren wants me to play, and I respect that. Um, have you ever, so you kind of talk about that with, with Brittany. You got you to take the temperature, right? Like that's, right. understand that. Don't just go at your own pace and assume that everything is fine. Like it's a little bit different if you're, you know, with, with your buddy or something like that, or like when I'm in Lexington, I'll work out with my brother, but just a little, little bit of a different thing when you're talking about working out with your significant other. When Lauren and I both had gym memberships, we would maybe live together like once a week. Um, I'd make up like a full body circuit to do together. Um, pretty standard like hit workout, something like that. Mm -hmm. Not sitting there trying to max deadlift and asking her to spot me on like a heavy bench day. <laughs> right, right? Yeah. We're not doing that. Um, and I'm not sure that she was always crazy about it because I took the lead on it and it is really difficult in those moments to make sure that Coach Connor isn't somehow resurrected from the dead. Right. Especially when, you know, Connor, not Coach Connor, but just Connor is trying to show, you know, proper form on an exercise or what exactly we're doing or how many reps or whatever. I liked it, but we don't really do it together, um, you know, lifting anymore just because we've got the home gym in the garage. She's pretty locked into training for this half marathon. She also swims at five in the morning twice a week. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing. Yeah, Lauren is like a serious athlete too. Like she is like yeah. in leagues and stuff, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want this to, the first part of that might've come, come across as me thinking I'm like some fitness enthusiast and Lauren is just along for the ride. That's, that's not the case because if we ever did anything swimming related, I am confident that she would swim laps around me. I'd probably drown. It'd be bad. <laughs> It'd be really bad. And you know, like that day is coming when she's going to say, Hey, come out to, you know, come out to swimming with me. And, and I'll be surrounded by all these adults who swim and do it competitively and have been swimming competitively for a long time. And I am just going to be so in over my head. It's going to be the most humbling experience in my life. Eventually that'll probably happen. But anyway, different skills. That's what we have. Um, and also Lauren's running her fifth half marathon. I think it is. And I've only run one. So whatever. She's a better athlete. That's that's one um, thing on that tip too. Is like you ever see like your girl do something just like, like that, like super athletic. And you're just like, dang. Like that's like that's impressive. Like that's the, that's like one of the best feelings too. Is it's like I saw like we did deadlifts the other day. Brittany just put up like a stupid weight, and I was like, "Hey, how about that?" Like, hey, you know, <laughs> you go. That's look like a us. very fulfilling. Yeah, exactly. Look at us, fitness couple. Wow. Yeah, I, when I saw Lauren swim um, at we did uh, we swam with manatees back in December. I think oh. I brought that up on the pod. Yeah, it was it was pretty incredible. And um, there was one one part where you've got like the, you know, you got the snorkeling gear on and you can go like really deep into the springs. You can kind of like go way down in there and, and, and you know, get to depths that you still have to hold your breath because obviously once the snorkel is underwater, you, you have to like start holding your breath. You kind of have to be built for that. Right. If you're like me and you kind of freak out in those situations when you're submerged underwater and you're just give me to my next breath, right. um, you can't do that. But Lauren can go like way under there and she just has this calm about her. We got these really cool pictures from the entire experience too, where she just looks like, I mean, like, like she's a mermaid or something. It's unbelievable. I'm like, 
I could spend the rest of my life trying to develop that skill and I'm confident I will never be at the level that you're at right now doing this. Mm -hmm. So yes, um, very impressive thing. I, I don't know how much that, that is like fitness related, but yes, in those moments, definitely impressed. Okay, Facebook questions. Do you work out with your significant other? If not, why? What is the best fitness activity to do with your significant other? Keep it peachy. Um, any horror stories from working out with your significant other? All right, got some good responses in the Facebook group. If you have not joined the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group, you should definitely do that right just now. Let's start with this one from Emery. Emery says, the best working out you can do with your significant other shouldn't be done in the gym. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> one sentence. Walked this is right why you can't one. just blindly go to Emery. You should know better than that, man. My bad. My bad. All right, this is the PG-13 podcast. We've already established that today. Uh, he says, seriously though, uh, we can't work out together. She hates listening to me. She wants to lift lightweight only. I only want to lift as much as I possibly can with each rep and my headphones trying to blow out my eardrums. Oh, with my headphones trying to blow out my eardrums. Every time okay. everybody talks about working out, I'm like, we're the same person. Yep. Very, very similar vibes between you two. Uh, he says, we live very close to the intercoastal waterway and our neighborhood has a dock, so we walk the dogs to the dock sometimes, but that's about it. Staple of another good every comment here is just randomly bringing up that he has a boat. Just, by the way, guys, I'm near the water, I got a dock. Just thought I'd throw that in here. Yeah, every, every text me a couple months ago, he's like, hey man, when do you wanna to come to Savannah? Like, we, we got a boat, just let me know. We'll make it happen. Like, Absolutely, we'd love that. Um, Going on walks with your significant <clears throat> other, if you can't do that, if even that is a source of contention, which it's not for, for Emery and Kelsey, thankfully, mm -hmm. um, it might be time to have a new relationship. <laughs> Damn. It's probably not a good sign if you can't even walk with your significant other. Um, that is kind of a nice way to be able to be somewhat active. Um, I love me a, a post-dinner walk. Love that, big fan, walk around the neighborhood if it's a nice night or something like that. Even going somewhere that's designed to walk. Anybody in the Orlando area that knows Crane's Roost, mm -hmm. the place where they have all the fireworks go off. Crane's Roost is a great spot for a little after dinner walk. Like being able to do that with Lauren as well. You know, not intense or anything like that. Um, actually, let's go to this one from, from Nick Jones before I get into another thought on that. Um, he says, for the most part, my girlfriend and I work out separately. She likes to do yoga and I like to lift from time to time. Having your uh, significant other with you in the gym can be cool, but also distracting. Doing endless curls, Ron Burgundy style, just to impress your girlfriend probably isn't the best workout <laughs> and distracts you from the other stuff you should be doing. What a king. Yeah, yeah you, you know, got to get those yeah. couple like, wait, yeah. <laughs> curls for the girls, but you know, yeah, it only goes so far. Right. Um, he adds, we do like to hike together though, and I find that to be the best group exercise. Grab a few friends, bring the pups, and explore the Colorado mountains. It's medicine for the soul and also a good full body workout. Absolutely. Hiking's great. Mm -hmm. Hiking's awesome. We just invested in hiking boots. Pretty significant undertaking as yep. well. Got some hiking gear because we're taking a trip out to Utah this summer. Zion National Park. Should be a lot of fun. Heck yeah, man. Um, but yeah, hiking is hiking's tremendous. Uh, great way to be able to feel like you aren't just working at like running sometimes you just get kind of sick of it, but hiking at least comes with views and all that as well. So uh, very good suggestion. Do you and Brittany do yoga together ever? We've done it before. She like used to be a yoga instructor. Okay, so when you do yoga together, you're just looking at her the entire time, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of exposed to be like that, but yeah. That, that is that is what I do. Right. Um, <laughs> like, 
especially early into the pandemic when we would just pop on, um, you know, they had like the Les Mills body flow classes that you could just watch on, on YouTube or yeah. something like that. We would just put one of those on TV and then just do yoga based on that. Um, I'm not following the TV screen. I'm just kind of following what Lauren's doing. Right. Yeah, us doing yoga is hilarious just because we're built so differently and I'm not super flexible and she is. And so half of it is me staring at her and the other half is her laughing at me because I just can't do something very simple. So yeah, yoga is always a very fun time. I, yeah, I talk about, much like swimming is, it's a very humbling experience for me sometimes. And I, oh, I, yes. need, I need to be better with my flexibility and whatnot. <clears throat> I can't even do the crisscross applesauce. That's what kids these days are calling it, a little bit different than what we were taught to call it growing up. I can't even <laughs> sit like that, okay? Mm-hmm. I can't. So I am not the best at yoga, but I do like being able to do it every once in a while. It's a nice way to kind of decompress and relaxation time at the end, always worth it, every time. Okay. Um, Derek Walden says, we don't live together because we usually show up to the gym a few minutes apart after we get off work and our days usually don't line up. Wait, so like you go to the gym and then like you see your significant other show up at the gym. You're like, oh, hey, I know you. Is that, <laughs> is that how that, that goes? All right, I guess. Um, says, uh, she really got into lifting a little before our wedding and wanted me to make her a training routine. She's been doing my programs pretty much ever since. So she does a lot of the same workouts as me, but we still don't actually work out together. She dropped 30 pounds before the wedding. And wow, good for nice, her. Yeah. And got in great shape for the dress. Uh, now she has people asking her to critique their squat and deadlifts. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Super proud of how far she's come. No real horror stories, luckily. Now she's wanting to work on her squat and deadlift PRs. 205 and 195 respectively, I think. Heck yeah, yeah. man. Putting up 205 on deadlift is not easy. Everybody always thinks deadlift is gonna be so easy and people that think it's easy end up just getting hurt and then they never do deadlift again because they're like, oh yeah, I hurt my back doing that. The second they try and ramp up the weight and mm-hmm. they can't get away with having bad form. So getting up to 205, that is, that is really freaking good. And squatting 195, man, I'll tell you what, as somebody that is part of the Twitter squat police, uh, at least subconsciously. <laughs> We're all passive members of the Twitter squat police. Whether you say you are or not, you see a bad squat on Twitter and you're laughing. I don't care what you say. <laughs> I am here I am here for all of that content. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't always comment. I don't always comment. I try and not do that because I don't always want to be that guy. There are plenty of other people in the force who will do that, those duties, all right? <laughs> I know force. they can take care of it. <laughs> but, but as for me, like, I see, when I used to go to the gym regularly, I'd see all the time these dudes that are just, start with 225 as their warm up. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, not, they're not even getting to parallel. They're yep. not even getting to parallel in their warm up. And I, if you're just kind of running through it, all right, it's warm up, you're doing maybe, a, maybe more of a quarter squat, I get it, that's totally fine. But then you kind of get into like the meat of the workout and you're still not even coming close. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know definitively that you could bench that you could squat 135. I don't. I truly don't based yep. on your form. Because if you're not if your degree of difficulty isn't changing at all based on your squat, you continue to add more weight, you're doing the exercise wrong. Yep. Sorry. That's what that means. So, so to get to 195, tip of the cap, that's a very hard thing to do and especially like to be able to develop it with good form. Nobody wants to do squats. Nobody wants to do squats right. Nobody wants to do deadlifts right. Anyway, rant over. 
I want to uh, get you on TikTok just so you could be part of lifting TikTok because it's a very <laughs> just chaotic place. Uh, one thing that I found that's super cool though that I'd like to see you guys try is called uh, it's called I Start Where You Stop, and so it's like a couples lift where they do like squats or deadlifts, and like let's mm. say the girl will like PR, you know what I'm saying, like 205. That's where the guy starts. Uh, and I saw one the other day that the dude deadlifted like 600 pounds. It was the crazy because the girl ended at like 265. I was like, oh, this is gonna Dang. be this is gonna be tough. And then he just kept going. And I was like, oh wow, dude! Like, dude was built like a mountain with kind of like a narrow base. It was just throwing this weight up. But yeah, it's a, it's a super cool thing. I'm gonna start trying too because it's like it's a very cool way to be like, hey, cool, like get your one rep and then I'll just pick it back up. So yeah, it's uh, lifting TikTok is a very fun place. I, I I say that to say, I haven't experienced it that much. Have, haven't experienced it. Just we'll we'll see the random videos. Have you noticed Instagram is basically just becoming TikTok? Uh, man, I have to understand that for my uh, day <sighs> job. It's been I have a whole roll of takes on that. But yeah, that's guys. Vertical video is here to stay. So get used to it. Yeah, it's it's not so much that. It's like it's just so many videos. And I'm like I, this isn't what I thought I signed up for. I don't yep. follow any of these accounts. How many <laughs> you hear that robot content? voice and you're like, here we go again. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, it's brutal. Okay, what are we talking about? Oh yeah, we're gonna out with our significant others. Yeah. Uh, we'll end with this one from Krista Kissinger. Krista says, two years ago, my favorite uh, Orange Theory Fitness, I assume that's what OTF means, mm -hmm. yeah, picked up on that. Uh, my favorite OTF trainer started her own gym. My husband came with me thinking it would be an easy boot camp style workout. The gym is called Primal 7 and uses the seven core muscle groups in each exercise using uh, uh, VIPR Viper it appears. Viper equipment. They didn't want to put the E in there, maybe? I don't know. That's that's a branding thing. Uh, needless to say, he was dying about 15 minutes into the workout. Definitely didn't think he would ever go back. He accepted the challenge, and now we work out every Tuesday, Thursday, and we work out after work. Love that. Boot camp's a different beast. Yeah. Boot camp can be a lot of things. I always interpret it as you're gonna get your butt kicked before the sun comes up. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. That's that's pretty much it. Boot camp could be a lot of different things. I do boot camp when I go in, um, when I go to, up to Indianapolis and my mother-in-law goes to boot camp. They have a gym in her office, One America Building, downtown Indianapolis, and I will go there, go at like five in the morning, whatever it is, and boot camp can be anything. Boot camp can be, oh, we're gonna run like a million stairs today downtown. Boot camp can be, you're gonna do this leg workout that's more intense than anything you've probably done in the gym, just doing strength training um, with, you know, lunge base, stuff like that. It can be push-pull, like wh whatever it is. You hear the word boot camp, you should, <laughs> no matter what, be thinking, I'm gonna get my butt kicked and the sun's not gonna be up yet probably and it's gonna be really, really hard. That's just kind of the nature of it. Because you do a, a version of, do you, call, do you officially call it boot camp what you were doing before? With uh, with lifting in the morning, or is that that's something different that I'm mm -hmm. confusing? No, that, that was just lifting. Yeah, I um, on on a related tip though, like I would say, like, it's always fun to watch people do work outside of their element, right? Like like the boot camp story where it's like you get somebody who's used to lifting, you throw them in like a hit class or something like that, and uh, yeah, I mean, oh gosh, yes, yeah. it, it changes you. It absolutely does. I uh, I don't think I, I might have told you about this, but I was doing CrossFit for a minute. I was just like typical like big guy locker room cancer ai guy at the at the crossfit it was just like i'm not kipping this is dumb i'm not doing this <laughs> it's like my body is not meant to kip brother uh but yeah it's always great to like change it up and like yeah like that's super cool like when you have like you know one member like the couple like challenging the other one to kind of get on their level of like fitness or whatever it's like yeah that, that's awesome that's awesome and on a, on a different note 
CrossFit couples. Do you know any of those? Uh, a little bit. One of my buddies I went to school with in Baton Rouge is like swole out of his mind and he married a former LSU cheerleader and they're their videos they like post are so ridiculous. I'm just like, at least you're so good at this that I don't feel threatened because I don't even think I'll ever get there. Why, why do they always have to post though? Why do they always have to? <laughs> to? Listen, to be proud, I guess. I don't know how I would be if I was that fit, but I probably post too, I don't know, man. Yeah, that's true. I don't know, yeah. I, I never fully immersed myself into the, the, cross, the CrossFit scene. I've definitely incorporated some CrossFit type elements into workouts and stuff, and there's you know, a lot of benefits to it. I'm not like hating on CrossFit at all, but yeah, the CrossFit couple, everybody, everybody probably just pictured somebody when I, when I brought up that exact <laughs> subject. Uh, this was great subject, great, great subject. I think next time we're gonna have to do, um, I think we're gonna do being sick as an adult. Okay, <laughs> I know all about that. You, you're still testing positive for COVID. This is podcast number, what, four for me, <laughs> actively having Gosh. COVID. I am no longer laughing. It is just part of my life now. We're gonna have an asterisk on all these pods. <laughs> Anybody that wants to hit on anything that has come out of Will's mouth, or my mouth, really, because, you know, I'm impacted by your COVID situation as well. <laughs> you're an of ally, course. you're a COVID ally. <laughs> yeah, come on, we're, we're podcast co-hosts. We're working off each other, all right? Like, this is, this is the way that this works. Um, yeah, there will just be an asterisk on all these episodes. Plan for uh, next week, I'm gonna hopefully be able to break down some stuff from uh, the weekend of spring games. We've got Kentucky, A&M, and Auburn are all in action, kind of the first real weekend of SEC spring games. I know Mizzou already had a spring game, but we'll be able to have some takeaways from that, probably a lot of thoughts on quarterback-related uh, stuff, so we'll be able to dig into that early next week. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name red on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the Masters. Talk soon.